Hello and welcome to season six, episode three of Euphoria. We're available on Apple Podcasts. Uh, I was going to say <laughs> iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube. Those are the usual uh, contenders. Let us know if we're missing any platforms that you would love to hear us on. We'll see what we can do about it. Uh, I'm Dracos, joined by Frostburn as always. And today we have a wild episode. We've got about 40 minutes of deficio content. And we just got out of the other side of it. And my, I'm just. He gives long answers. He. So, he so get talks ready. How Origin plays? He does. He gives you all the info, all the content. He is the LCK meta in conversation form. Um, no, super good insight coming in from Deficio. Really appreciate him coming onto the show. Um, but as a disclaimer, we talk a lot about Origin behind the scenes and a lot less about Origin currently in the LEC. So something to be aware of as we get into the show. But it's well, really insightful. Yeah, a ton of it. I think into the process of building a team. So look forward to that as as we go further into the episode. But for now. We need to look back at what happened in week two. And to recap this, we're going to use the good old format that I, we call, I call, we call, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So basically, what happened that was good, what happened that was bad, and what happened that was uh, downright ugly. Frostgren, you want to pick one and kick us off? You can um, pick, go anywhere. The good, Mad Lions. I think everyone's super stoked about Ooh. Mad Lions. I think uh, their play style is really exciting. Uh, the individual mechanical ceiling like humanoid has set a new standard for himself it felt like the conversation about the top mid laners in europe had moved away from humanoid and then he was just gonna be chasing it and like this last week and he's like no 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 you will remember the name that was a sick oriana performance so incredibly clean and the fact that they're also beating top teams is so nice because that was the issue with rogue right like rogue are another team that we wanted to be excited for and we've talked about there's a ton of reasons to be excited for rogue but rogue immediately losing to g2 is their first real hurdle after and don't get me wrong, G2 played an incredible game. But after that Schalke game on Friday where G2 were playing solo queue, I think it's safe to say was about the amount of team structure that was there was 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 crazy. So yeah, Matt are sick. I love the Senna bot lane. I keep, I've been pinging multiple pro players trying to figure out if there's any other combos that I need to be aware of because that's that's my jam. Putting a bruiser with Senna is, is so good. Um, and on the other side of the good train, I think G2 being... Uh, I said back on the wagon is what I wrote in the crypt. I don't even know what that means, but they're back. G2 feels like they're playing again like a coordinated team after, as I said, the colossal mess that that Schalke game was. I think there's a difference between G2 being like back versus G2 being in peak form. Yeah, they're. let's be clear here. Yeah. I don't think G2 are in peak form. They're playing League of Legends again. G2 are... G2 are playing enough like G2 that we can say it means something to beat G2 again. And not to take away from the people that did beat G2, uh, you know, in their difficult first week. But we can all see that that was a very different version than the G2 that showed up uh, against Rogue on Saturday. Yep. And while there is good, there was also bad. And we need to talk about the bad. And Fnatic fans, this one stings. It was a bad week for you. And the thing is, the self-made came out on Twitter afterwards. It was basically like, uh, we're experimenting. We're trying a few things. I don't know. My eyes tell me that that draft was like, self-made is the carry of this team. And we're going to see how that works right now. And I don't actually... So here's my mindset. I don't mind when teams actually experiment against uh, top-tier teams. Mm. Because I think that most people have the assumption that you experiment against the weaker teams because you have a higher likelihood of beating them. Um, and so, like, then you pull out your try-hard strategies against, like, the tougher opponents because you'll probably need more try-hard to beat them. But I actually almost think the reverse, especially in this uh, climate where super weeks, shorter weeks no time to messing up like against the weaker teams you have to be informed because you need those wins against the tougher teams it kind of goes either way on where you're you know breaking down how you make playoffs how you make worlds so you also need to test your strategies like 
If you go to World and you want to pull out your ace that you've had up your sleeve, which is this secret composition, I would rather that have been tested against actual yeah. competent teams than punching down on Schalke and Excel with a comp. And it's such a difficult balancing act, I think, too, in what is a very short season, what are these best of ones, to know when is the right time to test and when is not the right time. Now, obviously, this Fnatic strategy just didn't look good, despite Fnatic having, I think, consistently pretty solid early to mid-games. They just could not do anything in the late game, is, is what it looked like I to me. I don't know. We ran it in Clash, and it didn't seem that bad. <laughs> We lost all of our Clash games. <laughs> That's fake news. You can't just do that to people. It wasn't just I was like 07 in top against Diamond Top Laners as someone who has literally never played top sitting in gold ELO. Shout out to Wonder. That was a really intense carry performance. He tried. His Oriana mid is a sick, is a thing to be watching. Check out Wonder sometime. Check out his stream. Check out Fnatic and their streams. They gave us that composition. It's hard. But that said, like, I also think that people will look at the draft and they'll blame the draft. And the other person who's getting blamed a lot is Nemesis. And... Those games were actually really close. Like the fact that Nemesis's name is even coming up tells you that it came down to an execution error. Even sure. though I think that there's plenty of questions to ask about like the uh, strategy itself as well as the execution of the strategy. Like again, truth be told, that game was still very close in both of their losses. That's true. But uh, on the subject of individual mistakes, my one candidate for ugly, and we can go back to bad, is that Nemesis Twisted Fate alt. That's the second time he's done it, too. Second time he's just ulted near him. Last time it was Baron, right? And this time it was Elder Dragon. And it's just like... There's a thing. There's a the play called the Messiah, for those who don't know. I was know. just about to say, there's like a, there's a, a spectrum right now where we have like the Messiah, where you have the Hourglass. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, Ender revealed his youth. He made... <laughs> Okay, so can work? we, let's just before, before, because it's so funny because he doesn't know, right? But like, <laughs> for context, if you are a newer League of Legends player, Messiah was the first player to actively use the combination of Twisted Fate, and I think at the time it was Zonya's Ring, before it became Zonya's Hourglass, where you would alt in, everyone would like, get ready to blow your ass up as you teleport in, and then you immediately Zonya's. And then they'd blow all their cooldowns basically on like, where you were, and then yeah. you'd pop back out and like, instantly kill someone, or your team would collapse onto them. Like, Messiah has so many legends around him, because he was like the mid lane or LPL mid laner that people used to say that he would like tap on his desk to keep track of like rhythm about what card he was going to pull for pick a card like That's, shit like that I, I told my friends that they're like there's no way that works and I was like dude you don't even know these players are nuts this was back in like the day where you just like worship the ground all these guys walk on it was I heard it was his foot he tapped his foot to the just, rhythm he kept the rhythm in the and that like someone told me that in the back it was like these are like the child when you played Pokemon and people would tell you before like the Mews game sharks the came out yeah like they would tell you like these weird cheat codes that you could find like when it was all word of mouth this was the same thing with where yeah he was there's a system and if you keep tapping your feet at the right tempo then you always know what card you're going to get right as you activate w yeah because this would be it's before true, it even had like the, the <laughs> indicators <laughs> but now i feel like we have on the scale now we have like some of those nemesis tf ultimates so yeah. between now people could be like whenever caps is playing Nem or uh twisted fate you'd be like between nemesis and messiah so, where, are, where we? are we in all yeah it was it was real bad it was a single moment that defined the game and for nemesis like Yikes, dude. Yikes. It was it was brutal. He's gotten more than enough shade from the community, so I won't go anything else to it. But that was definitely not the highlight moment of Fnatic this week. I think what is really interesting, just kind of as like a last analytical point on this discussion, is that we have two teams right now that are really using Twisted Fate in um, the LEC. That's G2, so Caps is Twisted Fate and Nemesis Twisted Fate. Obviously, Caps is using the traditional AP Twisted Fate, whereas Nemesis uses the AD Twisted Fate. And I'm not going to get into a conversation about the build path, because... I don't primarily care. I think Nemesis, I'm going to trust him that he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Um, 
But I do think how they use the champions is very different. Yankos was having an interview with um, Ashley over at uh, the LCK, not the LCK interviewer, uh, Horizon, I want to get that right, uh, YouTube channel. It's really great. I recommend everyone go and check it out. And Yankos specifically talks about what he thinks about Twisted Fate and the Kale game in particular. And he feels that Twisted Fate is a champion and G2 think about it as a means to snowball side lanes. And so Caps is never, which makes sense. You have Destiny. Caps is never spending any time in lane. And they picked the Kale pick because they thought that a pick that would scale heavy into late game would benefit from having a champion in mid lane that acts simply as a snowball pressure. Whereas Nemesis is almost spending all of his time under tower. And you can kind of see the idea when you have a Soraka Nautilus bottom. So you have like a global ultimate like Wish. You then have Destiny and then you have an AD carry jungler like Graves. Like maybe the idea is, is that Graves takes over the map and then post level six on Twisted Fate and Soraka, he has like infinite pressure to do whatever he wants. And with how well self-made's playing, like that can make sense. But if you have Mordekaiser on one side and you have Soraka and Nautilus on the other side, and then you spend all of your time under tower, because obviously there's not a ton of gank opportunity or snowball opportunity in those lanes. I don't know. It's just a very different play style. And as this uh, G2 versus Fnatic game is coming up and Twisted Fate theoretically could be a contested pick before these teams. I think it's worth just identifying how different these two teams take on what they do with this pick is outside of just building AP versus AD. Yeah, it's actually insane how how different it can be because so often with so many champions it feels like you play it one way you do one thing with it and that's that's kind of what it is which is i think more often not the case for the corkies and his ears of the world but for twisted fate is a slightly off meta pick that fits a lot of the same buckets i think it's cool to see the diversity and options there frosk before we get into our uh one of our primary discussion topics of the day about about drafting in the lec it's time for everyone's favorite segment and by everyone i mean me screw what anyone else thinks uh it's called that's dumb uh, and so you're going to this week. We don't both have one because um, I could make one up, but come on, I don't want to rant about just something random. You have one. So you have one minute to rant about whatever you want before you begin. Why don't you give us the the topic? I mean, I feel like so the topic was is that the LEC Twitter posted all of the on air broadcast Twitter handles and was basically yep. like, oh, on our talent, you should give them a follow. Like just like a throwaway tweet. OK, I'm starting your thing. Okay. That was more context. So go, go. You have 30, 60 seconds. OK, go. and this dude comes out of the woodwork and basically was like, why are you promoting the on air talent? You should be promoting player. This league should be player focused. I'm tired of leagues not being player focused. You can go and check the tweet. I pop off on this guy. I'm going to pop off again. I'm going to hear what the f is that mentality that the LEC is somehow not player focused. We make hype videos. We make caster ads. We're constantly inviting the players. We invite them to cast. We put them on the analyst desk. Our Twitter page is retweeting independent content that the orgs are making. We're constantly retweeting the orgs. We tag them every single time. We use uh, resources from our broadcast to make things like mechanics, which don't go on the broadcast. Like you have to think about that. We create this this thing that is showing like the breakdown of like the humanoid Lee Sin uh, Oriana play with Shadow. And it like tells you like how it is actually functioning, that never goes on the broadcast anywhere. That just lives on social media and we tag those players specifically. We are one of the most player-focused broadcasts ever. Sorry, I'm out of time. No, 10 seconds, that was 10 seconds, oh. you have five seconds, go. And then for every single segment, like people know us for our comedic segments, but that's like 1% out of the 99% that we do that is all player-focused. Bam. That is so wrong. I cannot, like, that's not even a subjective opinion. You are objectively wrong. Now you're going a little bit long, but I agree with you, so we'll allow it. It'll Judge allows it, producer. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I had to, we've had a lot of discussion about broadcast, and, whew. If uh, you disagree. At me. At Frost Gurren, she's got a bunch of screenshots she can post at you, and uh, 
clearly enough rage to last a lifetime on this topic. I just, it's one of those things where Reddit is so fun because you like go in and you can like learn so much. You like go into like an Ask Reddit thread, not even just on our lol, but just in general. And you, you're like, oh, this person says this and I actually learned this about this topic. And that's a really interesting opinion. And I'm not saying that obviously there's nuance here, but if you ever go into a Reddit thread where you like really know the topic that is being discussed, you realize how fiddlesticksing stupid people are about the topic and now that just makes you reevaluate everything like all of those topics that you thought that you were getting like an actual education and you're like no one knows what they're talking about yeah that's a great line oh no one knows what they're talking about that should be the name of our next podcast if this one ever goes belly up we're making a show called no, <laughs> no one, one knows what they're talking, talking about. about where we invite an expert and we ask them stupid questions oh. <laughs> just just like okay reddit reddit wants to know they don't understand how the mask stops the virus they don't want to wear it can you explain that to us expert oh it sounds like they know what they're talking i literally about. went into a thread someone wrote a median article and was talking again because it's like the hot <laughs> thing to talk about if like flaming the lcs it was talking about the lcs's animated hype video and how that proved that they weren't a player focused broadcast because the uh, the animated hype video that they made didn't include any players or like why didn't they make one like the L, uh, lck or the lec i'm like because covid is in a completely different state in north america than it is in germany we could get our players in for media day and filming them like there are obvious limitations here yeah, and the lck one is cool but that's something that a lot of people haven't done before remember this the anime trailer for for worlds that people were excited about like i don't know it's a drop in a pan it's confirmation bias if you believe they're not player focused you see anything that's produced that's made that's not player focused then it's just evidence for you and you were right all along congrats uh it's nice being right on the internet isn't it feels really good to be correct makes me feel good in my life um <laughs> Gives me all right our main topic to the day which we're running out of time for um because as mentioned before we, we go in a lot of depth with talking to deficio um, do we go into a lot of depth or we no just we talk a lot we, we're there for the ride it's a great experience I, really really watch this one on youtube please because the facial expressions between me and frost the entire time i think are the the, the gold the producer will absolutely have to cut in because it can't just be a static shot on martin talking <laughs> for 12 minutes and what you'll see is like drake and i just like Making eyes at the camera like, is he uh, still going? And the thing is, is he says the same thing four different ways. And don't get me wrong. Like, he says really interesting things four different ways of yeah, explaining it. And the context is nice. But I'm just like, oh, well, this is hard because I literally just called everyone dumb that no one knows anything. And then I'm like, Martin, you don't have to treat the audience like they're that dumb. Like, they'll get it. But maybe Martin's right. <laughs> he is a very successful caster. Maybe we should be explaining things four different ways. God bless you, Martin. Thanks again for coming on. Uh, anyway, today we're going to be talking about drafting in the LEC. It's going to be a, a kind of an abridged discussion, but I think this is one that we can follow up on over the course of the split. It's one that I have very strong opinions on, but this is, I think, this is your baby. So why don't you why don't you take it away? So the context of this came about, and I felt really strongly to bring it up on Euphoria because in every single league there seems to be like an established meta, and there's like big picks, and you know, um, with the prominence of LS right now and the important discussion that he's bringing into the community and kind of spreading awareness and vocabulary about is kind of like the the theory of drafting or like the clear vacuum theory of uh, of ranking or stacking picks and so now there's a really common trend of hard saying that a team won or lost a draft and i'm not saying that that's not true i think that there is nuance in the discussion i think also ls recognizes that they're nuanced like this isn't a hit piece on ls or anything like that um but I have found myself when I'm watching LEC games and watching teams draft that when you cover the nameplates, the drafts make sense. But when you reveal the nameplates, the drafts no longer make sense. And it's this disparity between drafting for the team that you have 
the players that you have and drafting for maybe that theoretical vacuum or that theoretical um, composition or meta or whatever it happens to be. And I think that's a really interesting discussion because it's one thing to just like go in and hard flame a team when you feel like their, their draft is off. But often the case is, is that when the draft is off or when you see like really big holes, usually the variable is, is the individual player, either what they think about a certain matchup or maybe the limitations of what their champion pool is. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. I think the, the ongoing discussion in draft that feels like when people get fired up and they really understand the meta, the nuances that often get left out is the value of individual comfort over something like meta power. And this is the thing that we've kind of, we've said before, I know both of us have across YouTube content pieces, years of casting is, it's an S tier champion if you can play it well. If you're, if you're going to play it at an S tier level or shit, even an A tier level, that's fine. But if you're playing let's say Trundle at no, no, a B tier no. level and you're missing every pillar, the champion's not that good anymore. I have the perfect champion. There's two of them. It's the Lee Sin rule or it's the Ezreal rule. There are ah. certain players that are only allowed to play these champions. And when you see your team lock in an Ezreal and you feel that deep sadness inside of you, NA fans, you know what I'm talking about when they lock in Jace and you just, you start to sweat and you're like, oh no, it doesn't matter. Jace can be a god tier champion in the meta, but if a North American team locks him in, you're just like, it's donezo. That's what I'm talking about. And anytime you see in a draft an Ezreal Yumi come out, and I'm not going to name names, but there are a couple teams that got like the Ezreal Yumi and got like the great composition for it, but they don't get any damage done because they're whiffing all their yeah. skill shots. Guess what? There, <laughs> You're not drafted for the players that you have. There's the Ezreal Yumi's where they're murdering everyone and they're taking no damage. Where they hard carry again. Yeah, by and themselves. you're like, my God, this is so busted. How does anyone let this through? And then there's the Ezreal Yumi's in our league that are like, wow, they're never going to die. Good on them. They're going to get out of any situation. And you don't have anything else to say past that because it just looks like a champion running around in circles and healing a lot. But the thing is, is uh, Emily Rand uh, works over at ESPN. She does a lot of LPL content. Um, really great interviewer. She was tweeting the other day about this discussion of draft in particular and comparing the LPL's meta. And she she pretty much hit the nail on the head with an opinion that I share, which is the LPL will actually kind of ignore more uh, meta uh, picks for comfort picks. Like the LPL as a whole region really values compositional cohesiveness, which is why they're for a long time were a big 5v5 oriented region. Like that doesn't mean that they never draft for like winning lane matchups or anything like that. Like there's obviously nuance here, but in general, they seem to much more value. This is how our composition works collectively on paper. And even if you disagree with a pick in terms of an individual matchup, how that pick works with the, uh, it's better that that pick works with the, champions on its side versus how that pick disrupts the champions on the other side mm. and then they'll also always value comfort that's why when you go into an invictus gaming game you have five bands levied at rookie because it's about taking him off of his comfort picks because they also have the mechanical ability that when you get these guys on their comfort picks it doesn't matter if the champions meta or not they will dominate a game and I wish that the LEC would actually take some learnings from that because I feel like we are hamstringing some of our, our teams, especially in kind of the middle of the pack, by not giving them more comfortable picks to shine on and introducing other variables rather than just like the decision-making macro, which is already inconsistent. It's then introducing the variable of, will he pop off on this champion today that historically has been a struggle point? Yeah, I think it's always a difficult discussion um, to know like when to take comfort into account because I think individual player skill is going to matter a ton there as well. And like a good example of a player who has a very distinct champion pool is like leader, 
But what was that worth? Leader got a melee assassin every single game. It didn't do anything, right? And like, and the thing is, is that like your player has to be so exceptionally good at these champions to justify that. But the other side of the coin is comfort is just super important in general because like you can't just force your players to play meta um, if they're not good on those champions, which puts us in an interesting situation with Excel in particular, because I don't think either of us are particularly thrilled with Kryze's champion pool right now. The Gragas top looked bad. Kryze in general, obviously struggling as a player, the Vladimir, the Kale, that's what he's playing right now. So there is a point there where you're like, ah, good job, Excel. Like you're valuing kind of individual comfort picks. We respect that. But then there's also the other side of the coin, which is this dude's suffering. Please just put him on Orn and get, give me the hell out. But the thing is, is that if a player does pop off with something that's not necessarily like meta, they re then redefine the meta. You know, like G2 were talented enough individual players that they got to redefine how the meta was being played, not just in Europe, but globally with things like their their pike pick running around or just kind of like the general play style that the pike pick enabled them to play. And so again, it's like, it's not black and white. It's a very nuanced discussion. But right now, it feels like the discussion is almost being pushed too far towards the black and white, where if you don't pick the perfect pick in the theory or the vacuum of the theory about how these champions are supposed to work together and like how the matchups work together, that you're automatically wrong. And I just, I just want to pump the brakes a little bit there mm. because I keep seeing teams, and no one is drafting perfect, perfect in the LEC, but I keep seeing teams... Like, I can almost tell, depending on what team is, if they draft a certain comp, I'm going to say a poke-oriented composition, which are usually harder to execute on because they require more individual skill. I'm like, they're going to lose this game. Even if I think that they have the better draft, they're going to lose this game because ease of execution is harder. And I know it's a buzzword. Everyone hates it. We say it all the time. But it's the only way that the casters can really convey, like... The issue here is that while I agree that their champions and their comp is better, they can't play them. And yeah. so it doesn't really matter. I mean, ultimately, I think what it comes down to is people want to simplify arguments. They want to go, is a draft good or is a draft bad? And that's never really the full thing. Like, sometimes there are objectively bad drafts in the context of the team, in the context of the meta, is in the, the context of the game. Is the draft good for that team, and is it good against the other team? And also, it's not just like you lose at draft means the game is over at five minutes. There's more of a conversation there. It's like if you're playing Elise Renekton, it's like, oh, Elise Renekton, wow, they're doomed early game. But it's like, okay, what if they, they can do X or Y to mitigate that? Okay, well, the release and the Renekton didn't pop off. And then most people, rather than having that discussion about, okay, why didn't it work or go into the nuances of how the other team played around that, they're just like, well, those people just mis-executed on their composition. And that's just like what it is. People want the black and white answer, where in reality, there's so much context. And the thing is, is the LPL has always been a good lead. The reason I like the LPL is it's always been a great counterexample to the um what's called like the pure drafting philosophy of like the objectively better draft wins every time because they just show you constantly new ways to make champion picks work outside of um let's say like the conventional definitions this is a good example from MSI I think a few years ago Spawn was arguing with Deficio about like oh they got an Italy they can't team fight and then what do the LPL do they team fight with an Italy because they just got everyone into a position to team fight and Italy poked from the side found a flank killed some people and they won the team fight with I the also pick. think like the NAR example from 2015 is really good uh going into that tournament the western world was kind of saying that NAR was like a weak champion it wasn't really working out the teams weren't excelling with it whereas in the eastern uh leagues Nar was popping off, and then Nar was like a huge. I think Koro, uh, Koro won on EDG with his Nar top, like kind of redefined the expectations for the champion. So that's my that's my thing on draft. And if uh, if you start noticing when you're watching your favorite team and they're picking certain champions and can, you don't want those champions we, to come out, that's it. All right, here are my callouts, and these are my preliminary callouts. And teams, feel free to respond to me because I just want to know 
Why is Dreams playing Yumi ever? Dreams was so good when he was allowed to engage. Why is this man stuck on the freaking cat? I want him on Alistar. Or not Alistar, yeah. uh, Nautilus. Nautilus. Let him get in. I feel like uh, I feel like Shalka, and I actually do want to know this answer from Shalka. Shalka, feel free to add us. I feel like Shalka have a perfect opportunity where they can run two different styles of bottling, where they can yeah. run nukes on more of like the enchanter, like I'm here to support the ADC supports, and then they can run dreams more on like the roaming engaged supports, get him the Leonas, get him the Nautilus, have him start like blitzing towards the mid lane to like make stuff happen there. But instead, they're just running the same style of play regardless of what their bot lane is, and it feels like they're just changing out members because maybe they're changing the communication structure but there's such a, a bigger opportunity here that i feel like is being missed and yeah and maybe the problems are more complicated than that and maybe this is like the best solution i don't know but i don't want to see dreams on yumi anymore and if you're going to keep doing it please give us an answer give us an explanation so we can understand why this historically Yumi's broken great that's, engaged but that's what the answer is you should be banning it. You should just be banning it. You just shouldn't, it shouldn't go through. It's such a, I just, oh, it's so infuriating. It's also like a really hard conversation because if you feel, I've been in situations where I've been um, like the coach and recognize that my players, because no player is going to be like, I can't play that champion. They, and you have to, you know, support the ego. You can't just like crush a player because then you're not going to get the performance that you want. So it's really hard to navigate like, Guys, I don't think we should play the Ezreal Yumi. I don't think we're great on it. You have to almost like somehow convince them you're that like, this is like the better like, style for guys, them to play. Look, like Yumi is just like so toxic. And I think that like this champion's obviously gonna get nerfed, so we just shouldn't play it right now because it <laughs> won't be good in playoffs. And that's like how you save their egos. And people are like, Yeah, 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 that's fine. Cause I think that like and we're about to get into this uh, this Deficio interview before we, we go further in the podcast, but I think like there's a lot of parenting, managing political stuff that goes into i think running and coaching a team it's people management it is people management but it's like to the next level because you're working with so many young people yeah. with big egos who are for many of them the this is their first time entering like a professional it's workplace. people management on hard mode yeah it's the dark souls of people management <laughs> the bloodborne <laughs> it's the bloodborne of people man there's some there's some dark eldritch horror themes in this people management where you're sitting on a lot of money that has been uh, put in by investors you're working with like a lot of like people skills that probably aren't totally fully developed yeah it's uh it's hard mode it's definitely hard mode we'll leave it there um let us know what you think about about draft comfort versus meta what's the line for you uh, and if you're shalka you can tell us maybe what's going on with the pilot we want to know we want to understand good luck guys good luck good luck to cries too hopefully comfort picks pay off more in the future they found one win maybe they find another one this weekend i will say this and this is like my last like little up thing sure. we will be casting excel versus shalka this this mm. week and while fans of those teams and the teams themselves probably aren't feeling great I feel very strongly that I have seen individual improvements with those those two rosters. So, like, while unfortunately it hasn't been enough to put them on the board to get them the wins, um, well, other than Excel, <laughs> it has been enough that, like, week to week, I'm noticing. I see it. You guys are getting better. You're getting closer. Unfortunately, you're in super no, weeks and a fine, short time. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It, things are getting better. Let's end, let's end on a high. It's getting better. Now, um... Yeah, Excel, we're casting Excel SK. We're also getting Fag G2. Look forward to that. But for now, let's look forward to this interview with Deficia where we get to learn all about Origin. Woo! All right. It's my distinct pleasure now to welcome the general manager of Origin to the show, 
Um, I'm not going to lie. We've done this once before people, we had some technical difficulties <laughs> and we're now re-recording. Uh, but I was really looking cause I didn't want to, cause I, I would just start breakdown laughing if Martin's like, Oh wow, it's great to be here. You know, like, like literally yeah. none of it had ever happened. I'll look back and fake it up. You know? <laughs> wow. Great to see you. Two He's for a the first broadcast time today. professional. He could have done it. I, I know I'm saying I couldn't, I'm saying I'm the one who's a poor professional. Cause the second <laughs> you started doing it, I would have started breaking out laughing. Um, so are you going to recap everything we talked about? Or? Uh, no. So I think that what we're going to do is we're going to refine and improve on the... Wait, there, we could... Yeah, we're going to refine. But I actually think some recap would be helpful. Because when we originally did I mean, this, you can't recap. You missed all the context. No, it, it's true. But do we want to... Like, I think the, the focus today that we've kind of figured out over having one conversation with you before this is the big discussion we want to have is, is kind of mostly about building a roster the process of building a roster for Origin and probably for many EU teams as it compares to maybe some mm-hmm. some of the ways things were done in the past. Um, and then talking mostly about like finding the right kind of players, building the right kind of roster and making sure that's going to work and not it not just being about, um, well, that guy looks good on the riff. Let's grab that guy. Who cares who he is as a person? <laughs> he plays a sick, you know, whatever, LeBlanc, I guess. And then the tangible results and process into chasing g2 fanatic for yeah. origin specifically now that they've taken down both of them wow and look at this really concise ideas we have created definitely <laughs> right on the spot. right on the spot <laughs> wow really 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 I, prepared I for this that. one um i really respect that kick yeah. us off dracos okay so so martin i guess um we had so obviously for context we're re-recording this so you guys have missed a lot so i'm trying to make sure that we we hit everything that we did um i don't think we need to recap your role within Origin. Although it's important to note that Martin is both team manager and general manager. He's a man of many skills. And what we have found out from Deficio's 45-minute answer (laughs) is that effectively he was in charge of finding the right people and then being the connecting point to all of those people to successfully help Origin thrive. And if that's helping decide what the roster is, helping uh, be a general manager or a team manager for the actual League of Legends team, helping the coach and the analyst connect and then talk to like their internal systems and helping Astralis talk to Origin, as well as all your brand sponsorship stuff. Which is, I think that's a pretty decent summary. There you go. I respect it. All right, goodbye. (laughs) Martin, stay. We need you. Uh, Anyway, so I think the first question, I think the thing that we want to get into is kind of specifically how you built the first origin roster in 2019, how that changed or evolved in 2020, if at all, um, and kind Mm of why you took the approach that you took. Yeah, so when we got the franchise or long-term partnership spot in 20, so that was end of 2018, obviously leaning into the 2019 season. um, When we got accepted, it was, just myself and then uh, Casper, who is our sports director, who oversees kind of the performance of all the teams within Astralis Group, who obviously owns Origin, Astralis and Future, our FIFA team. Um, and Casper comes from traditional sports, so he obviously has a very different background than I do. Uh, grown up within League of Legends, basically. He obviously grew up uh, within a traditional sport. Um, he worked already with Astralis at that time. And he very much came in from a uh, outside the game perspective, a lot of focus on player personality. Does this person have what it takes to be a professional athlete? And how does this person fit with the other four people or how many people you have on your roster? Do you think that's because so- we are 
the right way for esports to go, Martin? Like, do you think? I think you have to because you live together almost. Like, you don't physically uh, have to live together, but you spend so much time together as a team, and your entire job is to play this game with your teammates, uh, develop and win games. So uh, if you end up having personalities that clash with each other uh, in the game or outside of the game, uh, you're going to have problems no matter what that you need to solve. And if the clashes are too big or they happen too often or their personalities who can't change the way they view things or the way they talk, uh, then you're never going to solve it. And it might be great when you're winning, but the moment you lose, it can literally fall apart instantly. And I think we've seen this over the many years of, of you know, esports and, and, and especially League of Legends with rosters who start off amazingly and everything is fantastic. And then they just crash completely and nothing works for them. Uh, or rosters who were super teams on paper that never ended up doing anything and they just instantly collapsed. Um, your actual individual skill is no longer the only thing that matters, which it was, I think, back if you go, you know, four, five, six years back, uh, when there was such a big skill difference between the best mid laner and just the fourth best mid laner was like a huge difference. So you took the the best mid laner, even if he was hard to work with, because he was just so much better, and you would win more games with this guy uh, compared to uh, now, where the best mid laner. Uh, is individually really not that far ahead of four or five, as an example, uh, in, in Europe. And uh, that mid was just a random like role to pick here, but it actually is the case, you know, obviously with people like Lars and Humanoid coming in and so on. Um, but yeah, so when we started back then, we had nothing. We had no coaches. We had no players. We had Casper uh, uh, and myself who came in with uh, you a know, dream different things we had a dream of course but we were like okay so he he has a lot of focus on on one aspect i have a lot of focus on obviously the, the in-game part and i used my network that i built up as a caster to get a lot of direct feedback uh because it's very hard when you talk to a player to be like hey talk to me about what what's what's maybe some problems you've had in the past on a team like what's some of your weaknesses most players will say i don't think i have any i don't know <laughs> Everything is great. You and use then you a player voice, to, like the voice that people use when they're talking about their mom. Do <laughs> <laughs> your laundry. But anyway, so like that, like no, 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 like every, everything is awesome. And then you talk to the former coach or whatever, and he's like, oh no, oof, this guy, uh, a lot of issues. You know, if he's not on this one champion, terrible. Or if he, if something goes wrong in the game, he just tilts completely, and it's like, okay, that's a bit of an issue. Um, so anyway, so there, there were like two different uh, things we came in with there. We knew we wanted to get the coach first. I think that's a natural step when you build a roster. Um, and uh, we very quickly knew that obviously Andre was going to be uh, the choice uh, after he had successfully been on Schalke and he developed into a head coach on Schalke. Um, and he then joined kind of the process of building this team from zero, where he obviously came in purely from an in-game uh, in-game side. So that was a good combo. I think we built a roster that had a lot of mature players. We had a lot of personalities who actually were very good at, at talking about the game and kind of like breaking down the game for each other um, so that we could quickly, quickly start developing a style in spring, which we did. Um, we were the, the team who 
choked out the enemy and they couldn't play and we were playing 1-3-1 and uh, you know mm. Nuke Dog was shot calling from his side Afari was being a 1v1 guard on his side and so on um, and obviously we made it all the way to the final so there was a lot of uh, positives with that and kind of our idea of how this roster was going to work and how quickly we could start actually playing like decent League of Legends because we had very smart players uh, ended up being true now obviously that didn't move on to summer and we ended up kind of failing the entire summer split um but that still meant going into this year uh we didn't have to start from zero we had the head coach we had the analyst um we we knew what we needed uh, to change from a player perspective um and it trust me it's a lot easier to sign players if you already have some players because obviously players have a lot of close relationships with each other um and uh, convincing like an upset that he should come play for Origin uh, was like, hey, you know, this is the things about the organization. Okay, he liked to hear that. By the way, we have Nuke Dog and Alfari, who you really like and you really want to play with. And he was like, well, that's really positive. Uh, and then suddenly you end up having like a lot of really good conversations early. Um, and that uh, we obviously also knew that we wanted someone like him because he is a, he's a vocal lady carrier. Uh, he's a leader and I know I'm jumping around a little bit to two different things but you as you are asking about personalities uh, one of the things we identified we wanted from our from our carrier position in bot lane was someone who could tell his team this is what I need from you now in order for me to carry this game um, that's a lot less important from let's say a support um, mm. who's not gonna necessarily carry the game uh, and a support is also oftentimes actually able to do more things on his own in terms of like, you know, roaming to mid and then setting up a play for someone. You don't really do that as an AD carry. Um, AD carries, if they're left alone or if they're behind in the game, typically end up not really being able to do almost anything. Um, so for us with Upset, it was like, he's a leader type. He's extremely knowledgeable about his lane, like what he needs to succeed and what matchup is, is necessary. Um, and that's what we wanted from the AD carry position. Also because we needed kind of that late game insurance in case uh, we didn't like, you know, snowball the early game cleanly, which uh, definitely proved to be necessary in spring regular season, but we didn't always snowball the early game cleanly. Uh, so having someone like him there to fall back on is, is very important. Can you imagine what a dinner conversation is like with Martin? <laughs> Martin, dude, you give, oh, you're so like, you're so good. You're so easy to interview because you just go above and beyond in every one of your you. answers. But yeah, you've like killed eight I questions I could possibly have. Answers now. No, no, question, no, no we don't need that. I've interviewed yes enough no. players like that. It's, um. I think, so one, you gave us a ton there to work with. So thank you for, for kind of sharing insight and specific insight also to this 2020 roster is always good to have. Um, Upset's always been praised for being, you know, very intelligent about the game. And it's good to hear that kind of echoed in what, in what you have to say. But did it, you make it sound like it was intuitively the right choice from day one to build the support staff first and then start grabbing players. But to me, up until very recently that was backwards as hell like you would always just be like star mid laner hell yes 
How much budget do we have left? Star top laner. Who's left that's cheap? This guy, this guy, this what guy. What role is the least important? Yeah, which yeah. role is the I'll least important? We'll skimp on that role. Which role is the most stacked? Uh, maybe we can be a bit more competitive here with the money that we spend, you know? And, like, obviously, I wasn't behind the scenes for the, for the early days of teams. Maybe it's more than that. But it always felt like, let's think. What's a good example? Um, no idea with budget in mind, but just building a star-studded roster. Like, we look at oh, the original Vitality roster that was the super team that came out. They got third place in their first split, and then they kind of bombed for almost three years, to be honest. Like, that roster to me didn't look like we're going to find personalities that clicked. Um, it just looked like let's find the best players that we possibly can. So why why did, why did were you why was it so important for you not to go down that road? Well, I mean... First of all, I think it's important uh, to be honest with yourself and say that maybe as a single person, uh, your opinion about the game and players might not be perfect. Uh, so being able to pair yourself with someone who is more knowledgeable than you are about the game, um, about his opinions on players, his experience with certain players is insanely valuable when you build a roster. So that's why um, you picked Andre? This is like one of the reasons we wanted Andre and we wanted him early because from a knowledge of League of Legends, when we started building this roster, it was it was just me. As, as I said, obviously Casper came from, from Astralis and, and before that traditional uh, sport. So he didn't have any knowledge about specific player skills. Um, which is why he focused on, on on the personality part. So getting someone like Andre in, who is working with players, who is obviously very knowledgeable about the game, that you can pair ideas with in discussions, super valuable. You know, I bring up a player and he goes, that guy, nope, he's number 10. And I'm like, wait, wait a minute. Like, <laughs> I've always loved this. He's like super high. Like, um, it's like you're, you're you in too many broadcast narratives. You're not allowed to get that one. He's actually terrible. Actually, there is that has been said before. Uh, that's a broadcast narrative. Let's be real here. And I'm like, okay, fine, sure, I hear what you're saying. Um, but like, just be open and honest. There, like, no one is a standout, mm -hmm. like, clear expert on, on this alone. What? So I think that's one part. But but also another one, just to want to add super quick, is the coach has experience in the in the machine of a team, which is the daily scrimming daily reviews, meetings of how they should function. And that person is then also able to identify a lot of things with players that you aren't able to identify if you just watch a VOD. Um, because from when he also talks to the player, from what he knows, maybe he's worked with the player before, you know, like he's the one who is ultimately going to lead the team, the coaching staff. Mm. And the head coach, of course, is in charge of that. And if you end up with a bunch of players who are completely opposite of him, um, if you end up with five super strong egos, like big personalities, and then you have a super shy, kind of quiet coach, maybe he shouldn't be a coach in the first place, but like, let's say that's what you have. That person is going to get overshadowed like all the time and he's never going to have a say. And then you're just a player run team. And if you're just a player run team, then why do you even have a coaching staff? Uh, so I think you have to start at the top and that's the coaching staff, and mm. then you can build from there. I, 
I was going to ask about the other piece of this trying this initial triangle that you had with Casper, and I know his his background's in traditional sports, and this is something you valued very highly. And it sounded from what you've said that he was mostly about the right personalities, the right kind of fits for what he viewed. It sounds like like for athletes, right? Like from what he had seen in the past, the kind of athlete personalities are going to be successful. Is that ever a struggle working with that? Because I imagine that in the world of football or handball it's pretty easy to find the pipeline to get new talent but in in the world of league of legends i think while erls are doing great there's like a limit so is there a threshold where like he has to go like i don't love this guy's personality but you're like yeah okay there are some issues but this guy's insane like we need to we need to get this guy has that ever been like a conflict for you guys picking between the like absolute perfect gonna fit in personality super nice guy versus the person who's like let's say maybe a little toxic not to flame any current or former players um but like a guy who let's say doesn't click as well um but is just the absolute kind of like star performer that your team needs i so we didn't have that specific uh, issue but i can definitely see it like happening i fully understand kind of what you mean with it um i do think it's important to say like with personality like there's not always a right or wrong personality, right? Like mm. it's it's the group you put together. If you have um, a bunch of really strong personalities who just says everything super, super straight up and they don't care about empathy or anything. Uh, if they talk to each other, they, it might be okay to say, hey, you're terrible, you're awful, whatever. And they, they just take it as like, whatever, you know, it's feedback, I don't care. Um, but there are other personalities, and this is not a right or wrong. There's other personalities who sometimes need things a little bit more uh, packed in, like they need some positives with some negatives. Um, and if it's just pure negative all the time, it's not a good environment for them. So uh, that's not to say necessarily that either one of them is right or wrong. Obviously, uh, ideally, it's easier for the one giving the feedback to be more mindful of how am I giving this feedback? That's a lot easier than changing the way someone receives it. Uh, So that's obviously one thing you want to look at, you want to work on. But um, in the toxicity part, there is a right or wrong. Are you toxic, terrible teammate, annoying to play with, uh, stubborn? That's just wrong. Like that's it, that's that's just straight up wrong. Now, of course, if you are the greatest player ever, you're going to get on teams and you're going to, you're going to obviously, you're going to, you're going to play. Um, but then you need to hopefully have this person understand that that person needs to change at least a bit so that it becomes more manageable. And you also need personalities with that person who is able to accept this is a harsh environment. Um, otherwise, you're going to have people who just get demotivated almost instantly, um, When especially when you start losing. So I do think you can work with pretty much any personality. You just need to actually know what the personality is before you sign the player. And that's why we do testing. That's why we care about it. That's why we we do long interview processes because it's really annoying to sign a player. You have him on this three-year deal. The roster is built. You meet for the first boot camp, and then you can instantly just be like, oh my God, oh no, this is going to be a problem. And that's like the next three years. Uh, that, that doesn't work. That's just, that's, and he's you can't been, return He's been here five minutes and he's sent six words already that could have gotten a ban if he typed him in chat. Yeah, exactly. And there's no, you can't call anyone and be like, can you take him back? Like, hello? Like, it, it, that doesn't work. Call so, his mom. Can you pick uh, him up? You, know, I- you really need that kind of stuff uh, to, to actually be well-researched. Uh, but again, 
because there isn't straight up like there is very few cases of straight up wrong personality for a competitive team. Uh, we didn't run into those like when we looked at things of players we were interested in. But there were obviously question marks, you know, like uh, you. We had you know a player like Alfari, who's a good example of a person um, in the past who we knew was an amazing player, but we didn't know much about his personality. Mm. Um, and it was hard to predict exactly what kind of person he would be if we so just said, we want risk. Alfari. Uh, no, no, because then we did our job and we talked to him and we did, did our research and we found out that this was actually a person who had uh, so much potential also outside of the game and, and a person who was actually really easy to work with and very important to have on a team because Afari now is a role model in a lot of ways. And and he's one of the guys who, when things are going wrong, who can actually like cheer people up and say, hey, hey, listen, calm down, everyone. This is what we're doing wrong. We all agree. Good. Let's just fix that. And then everything's great. And you're like, okay, cool. That makes sense. Um, and he's also then an amazing player at the same time. So it's obviously very easy to, to kind of follow him. Um, but, but he was a guy who I didn't know almost anything about so, from a personality standpoint before he joined. So Martin. Until we did our research. I think, I mean, it's, it's cool to, to hear that, that like that system paid off for you and you had these questions and those questions were answered via your system. I think that's an easy way to build faith. But to kind of get in one more, one more thing before we close out here, Frost, you had a question. I just really wanted to nail home because we were talking in our first run at this interview, we were talking about kind of like the importance of going through all this process. Because it's one thing just to create a healthy environment, but it's like, what is that actually... Uh, tangibly result onto the rift and you said something really interesting about how you feel that one of the 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 things that you need to overcome the hurdle is the mindset to catch up to the g2s and the fanatics because you felt confident in the execution of your team because you have you know those star players like the upsets and the alfaris the nuke ducks as well as then the strategy because origin are always a very well prepared and so can you kind of talk about if origin fixes mindset without revealing necessarily strategies or anything like that like how do you train that what does that look like do you think that you have accomplished that now that you've taken down Fnatic and g2 and origin are actually a contender now well it's very interesting because we actually like these best of one wins that we have now versus g2 and Fnatic. uh like they obviously felt great also because we lost the two games in in week one uh, against misfits and sk um but they we didn't like specifically think that much different, I guess, about G2 Fnatic, um, but like for, for regular season, but obviously in playoffs uh, in spring, um, one of the things that our coaches and obviously our players uh, talked about and kind of understood very early on was that uh, when you play against G2 Fnatic, especially when they're at like close to their peak or at their peak, it's a best of five. Um, the way they play the game uh, there's there's so much individual pressure on you because they they're very great they're very good players and they play fast um, or they play aggressive uh, they they challenge you in lane they challenge you in skirmishes like you can't back down uh, when you play against those teams because if you consistently try and back down and not take the the, the trades uh, because I don't know maybe you don't feel comfortable you can win it maybe your matchup is bad whatever it is 
you end up just losing all pressure on the map and you get tiny windows to try and get back in the games, which sometimes works, but over a best of five, very unrealistic. You're going to get enough to actually beat them. Um, so you have to kind of be able to say, like, if we're going to beat this team, we have to trust that we mechanically and also in terms of our synergy, in terms of the champions we're playing, our comfort on these champions, we have to be able to take the 2v2. We have to be able to take the 3v3. We cannot be afraid if enemy jungler shows up and my jungler is here and we consider this a good fight in the moment, we take it. We don't, our first reaction is not, let's not take it. Our first reaction is, can we go for it? Let's do it. Um, obviously, you don't have to take stupid fights, but it's important that your mindset becomes a, let's look for the fight first. And then it's better to have to reconsider before you enter the fight and say, okay, let's step away. Then your first reaction being, let's not fight this. And then realize too late, well, hang on, maybe we could have actually fought it. Uh, because now they've got to push in the lane. Now they're roaming mid. Now my mid laner can't play. And then everything just falls apart. So the mindset shift of being confident in yourself and your team that you actually have to take these skirmishes in the early game, uh, that has to, to change. And I think for us, um, against Fnatic in game three and four, when we picked what more aggressively. We showed that shift. We were like, we can win lanes. Like we were going for, you know, our bot lane was 2v2 killing Reckless and Hillisang, uh, you know, with Thresh Aphelios as an example. Like that kind of confidence you get from that, that kind of mindset of like, we can take these fights, we can win them. We have to play aggressive, play on edge, take the 50-50s, you know. Um, that's necessary. At least it was in spring to beat Fnatic in G2. Um, and I think that mindset shift is something that's hard to, to practice. Uh, and it's not something you have to do against every team. Like you don't have to take 50-50s versus most teams in Europe if you're origin, um, because you have really, like we have really good players. And if we draft uh, uh, properly, uh, we don't lose the game because we didn't take a fight at 10 minutes, right? Mm. Um, yep. So I think that kind of mindset or approach when you play against these teams is important to have. And it's something that we need to do as well. And it's something... You know, the way we play against uh, a Schalke doesn't have to be the same way we play against the G2. Um, and and I think we showed in summer, and that was the positive thing, obviously, about the two games we played versus Fnatic and G2, that it's a lot easier for us now, based especially on the experience from spring playoffs, where we actually had very close series versus uh, both teams and could have pushed it to a game five, that we can match... Uh, one-to-one -one, like individually a lot of what Fnatic and G2 are doing I think Mad Lions showed the exact same I think they're very confident in that which is why their matchups versus those two teams are also extremely interesting um, and and it's also good like that that part is just necessary and it does require some confidence but it is also just a mindset thing uh, for yourself that Martin have you heard you about the concept of the axe that missed Alexander um, it one thing, uh, I didn't hear that specific thing, but I did just watch a really long documentary on, on like Alexander the Great literally I, two days ago. I believe it. The idea is, is that, um, Alexander went into a battle and he almost died. And in that near death experience, he then was much more cautious and it ultimately with him being more, much more cautious, uh, allowed him to accomplish more of his greatness. And so the idea is, is like, if that ax had hit him, we'd have a completely different reality mm -hmm. that we would live in. And so why I bring this up with Origin is this idea that you're talking about of getting that confidence of knowing that you can match 
G2 at Fnatic, now winning these best of ones, even though it's just a best of one, even though it's beginning of the split of your players now having this mindset, this belief that, hey, we've done it before, to me almost feels like an ax that missed Alexander. You know, like if you guys had continuously lost these games, Maybe even if your players don't say it, maybe it just destroys the confidence. And there's always that mental blocker when it comes to these teams because they've never been able to do it. But it almost feels like you've seen these small chipping away of Origin getting closer and closer and the players, you know, starting to actually believe it that then allows them to succeed in the future. Do you think that that's a, a fair evaluation of kind of the importance of these best of ones? Like no one will ever be like, ah, oh, Origin won that best of one against Fnatic and G2 in week one. Because they'll always be like the excuses. Ah, uh, you know, G2 didn't have great practice. It was just this one time they've never beaten them in a best of five like whatever but these best ones can actually have pretty big significance if it if mindset is as important as you say it is i mean yeah i definitely think what you say makes makes sense and um, it might not be the case for every player like some players are extremely confident just all the time and then that that's great but i think it also sometimes just confirms that certain things that you're doing uh, actually works really well um and that always gets confirmed more when you beat teams like G2 Fnatic. Um, and and I think that's one of the really cool things about Europe right now, like especially in the summer split, where I think we have a lot of really stacked rosters and we have very few changes from spring to summer for the top teams. Um, you have to almost instantly find what works for you as a team if you want to pick up early wins. And you need these early wins because uh, there's only 18 games and uh, if you miss out on playoffs you already lost worlds like right there yeah um if you get six seed going into playoffs you can still make worlds but your road is obviously mm -hmm. not easy by any means so uh, very quickly finding your style which kind of can get confirmed a bit by them beating some of the best teams in the world which obviously we know peak fanatic and g2r um that is extremely important, even if they were not at their strongest at the time or whatever. Like, I don't think Fnatic, like Fnatic with 3 0 coming into the week. Um, they obviously had a strategy, they had practiced uh, with the Graves jungle. <laughs> it's it's um, your win counts, Martin. We're not trying to take away the win from you. No, no, but, but I'm saying, like, for myself, like, it's like the G2 one I get with obviously less practice on their side. <laughs> they did just stop Mad Lions in day one. I just want to say that, but yeah. Um, um. <laughs> you know, I, I think they were important wins. And, yes. Uh, important to get. Uh, especially because they're going to be the teams we are fighting against and we play Mad Lions on Friday. Here's which the thing, also here's the thing I want to know, Martin. Deficio talks like how Origin play. No, what? <laughs> Wait, that's actually a great topic. <laughs> oh, no, no, Martin. We're running low on Just time. Let's talk about how Origin plays. Let's talk about... Here's my question for you. This is the last question. So, And I want just like... Let's just give me give me the quick fire answer because the kind people out there in the Twitterverse have submitted a lot of questions for all three of us to answer and I want to get a few of those in before we close the show. So here's my final thing. Can we... I've seen two versions of OG, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, um, but I've seen OG playing versus Fnatic and G2, which, as you mentioned, feels a lot more fight, 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 like let's take the fights, let's look for them, and I've seen OG versus, so far, everyone else, which has been uh, a bit, let's say, slower and more controlled. Maybe not as much in that first SK game, that one was a little, a little questionable, but um, is this something that we can continue to expect to see where against, let's say, lower down opponents or perceived lower down opponents, we get slow controlled origin and against the top teams right now Fnatic and g2 maybe mad lions get there at some point uh in your book that you go fight 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 take the 50 50s do not like do not be afraid to to go all in i think it depends a lot on the team we play against because one of the reasons there's a lot more fighting in g2 Fnatic is because g2 Fnatic are 
looking for the fights and then we take them and we did the exact same versus excel but at the moment uh, excel kind of didn't know how to uh, to 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 snowball the game uh, it became a lot easier for us just to take control and if they don't actually want to try and like make a play against us well then we're just going to take whatever we can get and 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 we're eventually just going to going to win the game so i think that's the like i actually don't think we have a playstyle right now in summer at least um, i think we had two different playstyles in spring i think we had the initial one at the start of spring which was very slow and i agree it was very calculated don't take risks i get where the narrative comes from there um, I think in playoffs, in the regular season and playoffs, it became much more of a like look for aggressive plays, match aggressive moves from the other team. So obviously, if the other team plays really slow, then there's going to be less aggressive things happening. Uh, same thing happened in a Fnatic game sometimes in summer, not so much in spring. Um, and I think now, I don't think any team has really fully figured out how they want to play the game so, yet. Uh, I think it's just very draft dependent. Um, right. But... If the team we play against want to go completely crazy, fight everywhere, then we're going to fight them everywhere as well because that's how you have to match them. And then we just have to beat them in those fights. And I actually looked at something coming into this. <laughs> you know who has the third most kills in the league? Yeah. Is it you? Is it Origin? Which team could that be? It's Origin. Wow. Uh, very close to second most kills in the league. So I don't want to hear we have no kills in our games. I don't want to hear. You, did you pick kills instead of kills per minute because you didn't want to talk about your long ass game time? Okay, game time. <laughs> Martin, that's, I don't want to fight with you. That's unlucky. <laughs> anyway, Martin, we Wait, got one. We got. Fast I, I you, did, you had some. You had some fast games. That first G two game was was beautiful. Was everything we wanted to see. After that. And admittedly, you were slow games and your losses aren't a problem. But when we look at the, I think more relevant. That's damn it, awesome. I'm getting pulled in, Martin. You're so good at this. You're so good at derailing me. And all I'm just also going to say on that part is like we don't sit in our meetings and go like, guys, 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 stop fighting. Never take fights. Why are you doing this? Stop fighting. Farm. We need to farm. You know, like you have to look at the draft we have and if there's good openings we take them if any team wants to run headfirst into us then we run headfirst back into them because like running away doesn't give anything in this matter um then they have four drakes to zero and you're just like oh life sucks um unless it's fanatic having four drakes then we win anyway so he did enter that elder yeah that was a great elder shout out shout out oh my god all right Martin, that drake. we're gonna get two twitter questions in because the people have asked i wanted to get like four but we're sorry twitter you can blame me. I'm, I'm being a bad host. I'm letting Martin go too long. We're going to get two questions, and they're going to be quick-ish fire answers. I'm looking at both of you now. I am not the problem child You here. are when Martin's not here. It's just you by comparison, question, you look great. Bro. Here we go. Uh, Nikolaj, Nikolai, uh, at Den Voxna Law. Nice pookie-style uh, profile photo, my friend. Uh, to all of you, why do you think a lot of rosters split up each season? Why aren't teams investing slash building a roster for longer before dispensing it? Uh, or dispersing it, dispensing it, dispersing it. I don't know. Uh, do you think a longer project could work, and if so, how? Now I know we could go in on this one. This is a meaty one, but I let's give go let's go one. let's give like the TLDR. Why do you think more teams aren't um, aren't just doing this? Aren't aren't committing for longer with uh, the same five man? Well, I think the first part of this is that so many orgs don't 
know <laughs> like they're given a lot of money and they don't know how to actually maximize the value out of that money and they spend it really carelessly and i think that then transfers into big problems where the org collapses because it wasn't spent into systems or resources of supporting a team and instead was spent into maybe inflated contracts who knows? And then you see a team explode and then there's trying to offload contracts and everyone's juggling around. And I think that is a problem that is rife throughout multiple teams and multiple regions. If the next thing that comes out of your mouth is that Huni is not worth $2 million, I've I will be furious, Frostgrown. Don't you anything. dare say that. <laughs> Martin, what, Martin, what's your take on this? Why do you think, do you agree with Frostgrown? Do you have any additional information to add? Why do you think people aren't as willing to, uh, let's say, double down and like, do these longer term contracts outside of the winning teams, I guess, like G2, who are just, they're winning mm -hmm. everything. So why would they change? I will say before Martin answers though, that what I just said, those are all symptoms of a bigger problem, which is the leadership at the very top that is handling the budget. Ooh. Martin is the I leadership think, at the um, very top who's handling the budget um, or asking for the budget. <laughs> <laughs> What's your take? Begging for the budget. Oh, there it is. Um, I think, so there's a couple of ways to look at it, I guess. Uh, one way you can look at it and you can say, well, the talent is so close uh, in Europe, like there's so many good players to pick from that uh, if you feel that you gave someone a chance and the person didn't really prove himself, let's say in one split or, or one year, then there's very low risk in picking up someone else um, and then see if he can do it. Because again, the, the bottom level of those two are pretty much the same. Like I can see some people look at it that way. Um, the other way is to say like grass is always greener kind of feeling uh, that I think a lot of teams have had in the past at least, which is not very healthy because I think it's very unrealistic to think that someone within a year on a team has shown everything he has to show. And I think generally coaching overall uh, not just in-game coaching, but just everything is still extremely underdeveloped in esports. So very few uh, teams are able to take a player and, you know, improve him a lot, uh, whether it's inside or outside of the game. Um, a lot of it is like individual player growth. Um, and I think I, I know a lot of orcs are obviously investing heavily into this and like trying to change it. This is also one of the reasons on our side that we have like a lot of focus on outside of the game because let me just say on the physical part, you can do a lot of improvements, uh, very noticeable improvements to a lot of the players. Uh, they just need guidance on how to do it. Um, and, and, and that's an easy like first step that it doesn't solve everything, but it does push people in the right direction. Mm. Um, and the same thing with in-game things. Like I think a lot of teams struggle with how to actually review and practice in a way that makes them a lot better. And kind of my, my uh, example there is just how often have we seen at the start of each split teams just forget how to play League of Legends? How often have we seen roster changes where new teams get put together and they still don't know how to do Baron after this game has been out for 10 years? Um, and I know it's because there's obviously different variables that makes it uh, sometimes a unique case, but it's, I don't feel like the bottom level of like macro in itself dramatically improves every year. If we look across 
the, all the different teams in, in, in your league. And that, um, and Martin, that, that makes a ton of sense. And like, thank you for sharing, um, okay kind of the depth, the depth of your insight there grass is greener but there's also a lot of time to pick from so uh but yeah i think we've seen some teams invest long term now like rogue is an example yeah and that's um, and that's good kept the same roster. last last bit i'm gonna ask rapid fire twitter questions to one of you i'll direct it to one of you and you get to give me a one word answer i'm keeping only simple questions so context doesn't need to um really be there so let's start with you, Martin. This question is not going to surprise you at all. How much do you miss Trevor? Um, one word. One word. I missed him. One word, Martin. I missed him a lot, but then he started ignoring my messages on WhatsApp, so now I miss him slightly less. Bam! Good to know. I'll call him out on that one. Froskerin, do you think Yumi is balanced? No. Thank you. Uh, Deficio, thoughts on Rakan mid? What? Thoughts on Rakan mid. This is from Budget Rakan at Yazimir. Wants to know if you what you think of Rakan mid. I've, wrong person to answer. Bad. Uh, Bad I've, is the answer. I've, Bad is I've clearly no the answer. I have no thoughts. <laughs> All right. Final one from Meg K at Megito underscore GG. Which one champ, if removed from the game, will make the biggest change to competitive play? You can each pick one champion, and I'll give you two sentences of context. Syndra. Why? Because she's... Right now, I think a flex pick, and I think a lot of teams. Well, hmm. it's too long of an answer. I think Syndra. That's fine. Syndra. Martin, one champion removed from competitive play. Or Orn. What would make Yumi? Yumi. Yeah. Like, she's just like so unique compared to everything else in the way she plays and the way you have to like think about her when you play against her and how obnoxious. It is to watch like a fat Ezreal who's really good at the game with a Yumi on him. And suddenly you have to change everything if you want to like beat that in the late game. So I guess I guess if in terms of impact, you and me. There you go. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you to everyone who submitted Twitter questions. Um, Martin, this is the end of the. Episode. Am I staying for the rest? Season or? six, episode three. No, you're good. We're gonna we're gonna do the rest without you. But thank you so much for sharing your insight into Origin specifically building a team. And I especially love that bit at the end there, kind of talking about how you tackle the G2 and Fanatics of the league. And interesting to hear you say that you haven't found your style yet. You're going to have to keep us updated. Let us know when you figure it out so we can uh, quickly we label it for broadcast. We're also finding our style, Drake, is on YouTube with uh, a lot true. more content being produced. That's true. Uh, I will both, say... Uh, Behind-the-scenes stuff. There's also educational content out. I actually really recommend you guys checking out the Upset That's, Guide on how to play right. bot lane. Here's, here's Wait, what I'll origin, say. Deficio is a mediocre vlogger. So if you want to check that out, there are some mediocre Deficio vlogs. But the actual Their champion guide really breakdowns are sick. They I will give you that. a wonderful yes. guide where Andre sits down with Alfari and they talk about Aatrox, like his builds, his play That's patterns. Also really good. I watch all of your guys' content. Those 300 views on all of those videos, <laughs> that's like me at least 10 times. Anyway, whoa, whoa. anyway. 300 views from you. <laughs> Okay, all right. Bottom line is, Origin has a sick uh, YouTube channel. They're pumping out content pretty consistently. So. Educational content. A lot more stuff now. A lot so, more stuff now. Yeah. A lot more is coming. If you, uh, if you like their players or are curious on how to get better at League of Legends, most of their guides are focused on improving in solo queue and solo queue decision making or mechanical skills. So uh, yeah, check those out. Thanks again, Martin. Uh, check out Origin. GG YouTube. You can retweet Euphoria when it comes out with an origin link, and I'll retweet that, and then we'll just bam. Nice. Maximum exposure. Uh, if any other orgs are watching, so we this, get your 300 fans. We get my 300 watch. fans to right. also watch. Frost gonna watch another 300 times. We'll get you a thousand views, buddy. No problem. 
Um, so yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks, Martin. This has been season six, episode three of Euphoria. We'll be back next week with more content. Ooh.